Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Good day, everybody. I'm more than just a little bit excited to be bringing you this episode, which is episode nine of the Introducing You podcast. And the reason I am just more than a little bit excited is um, this episode is really kind of cool for me. Um, I've said it more than once. Um, I I, I love poetry and uh, I love, love spoken word. And I'm interviewing one of the guys that pretty much kind of got me into it. Um, inadvertently I don't think he he knew what he was doing at the time but I went and saw him uh perform uh his fantastic uh show The Toll and uh I I bought the book after that's that's got a load of poems that he did in in the show and and more and I just fell in love with it and uh and really got inspired to uh to write a lot of my own stuff and and, and even perform and I and I kind of took a punt and I sent him an email and said, "Can you be on my show?" And he got back to me pretty much straight away and said, "Yeah, give me a month and and hit me up again." Um, so this the, he was one of the first people I wrote down as uh, that's someone I'd like to have a conversation with. And um, yeah, that was right at the beginning when I started the show. And uh, about a month or so later, um, I was sat in his lovely living room. Um, having a cup of tea and uh and, and having a chat with him and and it was great and and this is the result so um i really really hope you enjoy it please definitely get in touch with me and let me know what you think um, i'm i'm really lucky that he actually performed um three poems for me and for you uh when i was there so that that was really cool of him really really lucky for to have that little performance i i had a big grin on my face when he was doing it i'm, I'm definitely nerded out all the way home in the car afterwards um he was just a really really fabulous guy i really enjoyed talking to him um it was uh it was it was nice he's he's a really normal guy really down to earth he's he's from uh, or he lives in a small town in in Suffolk, not far from where I spent a lot of my childhood. So it was nice to go back to that area, and and it was nice to to sit with a really wonderful man um, who helped and inspired me in in writing. So yeah, I'm 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 gonna play the episode for you, um, and after I'm gonna in the outro um, stick around after the music. Um, I always do little outros. I don't know how many people stick around for that, but stick around for this one because I'm gonna give you all the details of where you can see Luke uh, performing because he he's got some 
big gigs coming up and uh, they're definitely definitely not to be missed so i'll give you all the details for that as well um whilst you're listening why not go and have a look at his website it's luke wright um and that's w-r-i-g-h-t um luke wright.co.uk i'll put the links up in the acast app um if, if you're listening on there and you can have a look i'm not going to talk about all of my links and stuff because i do that every week and um yeah just check out luke wright while you listen to the show enjoy i'm introducing you to normal people different lives husbands brothers sisters wives might have a laugh might have a cry so if you've got the time just sit back and how that's our comfort watching and her daughter likes it as well so and you know it's one of the few things that all three of us can I just, agree on i just think it's brilliant it's absolutely amazing. love it um so i'm i'm rolling because that's, okay. that's just it it's easier cool, we're to, rolling. to test the levels in the first two yeah. seconds or so so introduce yourself man the show's called introducing you thanks very much for inviting me into your home my um, pleasure you're very welcome beautiful here beautiful norfolk um i no suffolk actually is it because technically that, do you know well we're a border town yeah i mean like i said to you earlier originally or oh, what well, my biological father lives in in hoxton yeah and i always said it's the suffolk norfolk border and that's technically suffolk yeah way but then as i come past that mm. and could gone straight onto this I was like crossed over and it said Norfolk so I thought yeah okay, it depends what side of the River Waveney you're on basically okay. and so here you are just south of the River Waveney because the River Waveney was diverted round Bungie right um, to I think I, I guess for irrigation purposes certainly it was split into you know it was sort of funnelled off into lots of different sort of yeah. irrigation sort of funnels or like <laughs> <laughs> the right words and if you go down to the water meadows down at Byersham you, you can't work out which one is the River Waveney because it's all sort of split up and then it goes round um, Outney Common uh, and yeah. then comes back round again and so, so Bungie is sort of you know it's diverted away from Bungie basically I mean we've got this lovely bit of um, common land although half of it's a golf course now because I guess at some point somebody got a bit greedy and sold it off <laughs> disgraceful um, and uh, so yes yeah, so we are technically in Suffolk but if you walk just around the corner for about three minutes you'll be in Norfolk so literally three minutes <laughs> yeah literally three minutes just, just down there you go into Ditchingham Dam and, it, and then you go and you're across the Waveney yeah. because the Waveney sort of yeah it sort of splits off down there by the beginning of Ersham Street goes all the way around the common then comes back again just over there so cool like yeah. I said it, it's, it's really nostalgic for me yeah. like driving up do you know um, is it on the A140 the Magpie pub oh, and you've oh. got the it's, it's like the like a God, what are the things called pergola no the what are, they, what are they called? The big arch thing that you drive through, the magpie. Oh, the big um, the oh yeah, on the A140. That it, was always like a benchmark. I knew yeah. I was off the A12. Well, that pub's just been nearly... closed down, I think. I think oh, right. I think it's... Um, I, I, I have a feeling it's for sale or it's just been changed hands. But yeah, there, there is a sort of archway across the road, isn't there? Magpie yeah. thing. And yeah. that was like, as a kid driving up, I always knew that, okay, I'm near I can't even think like what the name of that town is. But yeah, just it's not far past Ipswich. It's almost the first town you come to once you go single carriageway. Yeah on that very slow road the A140 so people know where we are who are you 
So my, name, yeah, so my, name, <laughs> my name is Luke Wright, and I, I am uh, well, I'm primarily a poet, but I, I sort of write other things in verse, like plays, and currently trying to adapt one of my verse plays into a film, which I find in a difficult and frustrating process because I'm not very good at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't know, do you? you well, know, I, I don't know. I don't know. Of... It's all right, but I mean, um, writing a film is quite quite bitty. It's quite a bitty bit of writing. I, I like one things I like about verse is you can just. Spool and this, you know, yeah, unending stream of consciousness and build up a pace and a rhythm. I like the music, the music that words can make. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not so much like that in a film. It's about structure and plot and bringing those things together. And whilst the, the, the characters are sort of talking in verse, it's it's more subtly done. Are you Whereas, jumping all around it? Or are you writing it in like a, an order of a sequence of events? Or well, it, it's a, it's a it's a fairly faithful um, uh, adaptation of of what I learned from Johnny Bevan, which is my first play um, and it is a story which is told kind of in flashback it starts in one, in the present day and then someone has a sort of Proustian moment and they're taking back into the past and then, and then that story is told you know in chronological order until we find ourselves back in the present in the end so it's not that so much it's just when you're writing a poem it's a sing, generally a single voice and it's just you know you're, you're just powering through and, it, and it, there's an intensity that builds in the, in the rhythm and the music of the words it's a, it's a very different thing to writing a long form piece where you're where you're trying you know where, where you're hoping the sum of its parts well, where the, where the end product is greater than the sum of its parts sure um, so there's also there's an all sorts of sort of magic and alchemy that happens to make a long form piece be successful um, and you don't quite know whether it is or not until you've finished it until you've tried it out whereas at least with a poem you can just you can read it all through to yourself in a couple of minutes and you just you just know whether it's whether it's singing or not and I love that and that's the thing I really really like um, but I'm also sort of keen to try new things and, and to be ambitious and also I just you know artistically ambitious that is um, but also you know there is the other side of it that, that, that I think you know, poetry is the kind of um, the Cinderella of the arts and um, you know once you start writing plays or you know if it ever happens in you know, this film then all of a sudden you've got a chance to reach a much wider audience with how do you mean by the Cinderella of the arts well it's just the sort of this this this, this, this you know, I, I'm quite indirectly from Martin Ewell he's my um uh, it was one of the sort of poets who was a bit of a mentor to me. He called it the the shoddiest wing of the culture biz. You know, it's it's the it's the it's the, it's the poor man of, uh, of 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 culture. It's you know, it's uh, probably the um, it's certainly it's it's pretty hard to you know make it work financially. Or it always yeah. was. I mean, that is kind of changing with 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 the burgeoning poetry um, performance scene and spoken word scene um, but yeah, uh, people it's, are getting it's paid just to do it now for, for Nationwide and Jeep <laughs> yeah people are getting paid to do it, to, to it I saw there. your little video on that that was quite oh I'm a bitter little man me no I'm not I mean I, I'm you know I, I'm not bitter anyway I just felt like it was I felt like it's the sort of thing I would I would kick out against if, if I didn't know people doing it so give context on that because I've brought it up so there's been a spate of adverts um, using spoken word poets um, the one that really sort of caught my eye was this um, this advert for Jeep by George yeah. the Poet and, and it's particularly because George the Poet um, uh, who I really admire as, as, as you know he's, he's this young guy he's incredibly intelligent uh, he's got a degree from Cambridge and he's, he gets involved in loads of sort of social um, initiatives and he, and he wants to change you know, you know he wants to change he wants social change his whole shtick is about social change and you know that's you know very close to my own heart and then he did this advert for Jeep 
and and not only do the advert, but he did this advert. He did that awful kind of double speak that you get adverts where that where, where they're they're saying one thing and you just know that it's the opposite. So the the, the Jeep Renegade, yeah. So it was like you know the old advert was be Renegade, don't follow the crowd, be your own person, all that sort of. And yeah, that's. I mean, yeah, but buying a a Jeep that's that's not that's not rebellion. That's that's not being a renegade. Buying a really expensive. You know, four by four. I mean, that's that's the op- that's the opposite of that. And so it was like really sort of like the really sort of awful double spit. That's that's, 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 that's that awful thing that adverts do. Um, and it just devalues, totally devalues language. You know, it's right. it, 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 it's in the same realms as you know where you know of, of empty political slogans and stuff like that. When you're like, that's just not that's a lie. Um, and I just and I think there's this thing that I grew up really trusting comedians and satirists in a way I did not trust the mainstream I did not trust authority yeah they, uh, they, they can say they can say a lot more and get away with it which means that they yeah. can say a lot more of the truths I guess yeah I think so they had the same agenda I, I, I'd, I'd rather you know read Private Eye than than, than read a, sure. a, a mainstream newspaper I just think I think I think that's subversiveness um, speaking truth to power all those things I think they're really important like they're, they're really at the core of who I am as a person and certainly as an artist um, and I think similarly that you know people really trust this this young kind of spoken word artist that kind of you know that that and, and he sort of writes in a style that you know it's not very unlike my own style, but then there, there is that sort of um, it's that style that Kate Tempest has got and uh, and lots of other sort of spoken word poets have got. It's a very trustworthy style. It's, it's a very humble kind of you know like I'm you know I'm, I'm kind of I'm, I'm 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 coming from nothing here and I'm I'm speaking truth to power, and people trust that. And I I think that's a, and when people have that kind of level of trust in you um, it's a very precious thing and I think to, to do an advert like that when really you know everyone knows it's bollocks what he's saying it's a paycheck it's, it's for him and it's an bollocks. advert for them yeah he's just doing it for money you know or, or to further his profile in some way and I just think that was just naff awful really and I thought so, you know and I can't, couldn't believe that none of us had called it out you know on, on the scene none of us have called it out no one has said this is bullshit or certainly I mean you know people said oh well loads of people have been talking about this but you know not conversations I, I, I've been party to maybe, maybe because I don't, spend, I don't spend enough time on Facebook I don't really like Facebook yeah um, so maybe there's a conversation happening there certainly I hadn't heard that many people talk about it um, or talk about it negatively there's been a lot of sort of like well people should be able to do what they like and you know which is fair enough I mean you know I'm not saying you can't do it I mean I'm not the police I can't stop it <laughs> I'm just I'm just a guy with an opinion um um, oh, absolutely, and all, all opinions are, are valid, aren't they? Um, yeah, totally. And do, I, do you think it sort of helps new audiences get into spoken word and then? Well, that's what people sort of said. Well. They, they said, "Oh, you know, look at these people in the nationwide efforts; they're developing new audiences," and, and that might well be true, right? But when I first saw, you know, live poetry, the thing that I found so desperately was well, two things. First of all, there was this this sheer sort of. The, the creativity and, and, and cleverness of it, you know, the, the, this this art of the great single line. I just, there's some lines are just like, oh, they're just so clever, and you know, yeah. and, and I just love that, you know, and the way it made me feel. And, and it, it, but there was also there was this utter sort of subversiveness. I've never seen anything like it before. Um, what was know, the kind of poetry that you saw? Oh, I saw John Clark and Martin Yule. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, so uh, um, you know Martin Yule's stuff. I thought was particularly political. It wasn't so much party political, but there was a whole Martin Yule's whole shtick is like, I'm not, I am not part of your society. I'm doing my own thing. I won't do what I'm told. And I really like a very punk kind of attitude, really. Yeah. Although he's now a man in his sixties who has some really quite reaction reviews. Uh, <laughs> John Cooper Clark as well. You know, you know the, the, their politics are not really my politics. I think there's a, there's some things we agree on. There's a, there's a sort of subversiveness, but you know. 
you know, I mean, if you think John Cooper Clark's voting for a progressive party this time round, I'd be very surprised. <laughs> I mean, you know, I spent a lot of time with the guy. Um, I mean, then that goes on to what we just said. You know, everyone's got I, an opinion, and that's yeah, okay, and that's fine. It? That's fine, and I, and I respect that. I mean, but. In, in 1998, they they felt so subversive. They felt like nothing I'd seen on TV, nothing I'd seen on MTV, you know, on, on music television, anything like that. You know, it just felt really, just like, just better than that, and and, and it felt like it was kicking out against something really ingrained. I mean, the, 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 you know, the the, the 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 version of society that is that is that, that is drip fed to us through our parents and school and and newspapers and, and television it just felt really against all that sort of stuff um, and exciting because of it uh, if I'd heard spoken word and you know and, and, and I don't you know these aren't great poems they can never be great poems because they're not somebody speaking deeply from their heart about something they really care about they're something that's been signed off by a board yeah. even if it is something and I don't think there's anything wrong with nationwide as a, as a you know it's, it's a mutual you know it's, it's, it's essentially a good thing isn't it it's helping people buy houses and stuff like that but it's been, the idea that it's that it's um, it's not I don't know it's just I don't, I don't think it's the purpose of it really I don't think that's what it should be art should be for no I get that I get that so I don't think that, that, that those people are bad or evil no, no, for doing it. I just, I just think you know, and also when I when I wrote that poem as well, that poem's very, um, you know, when when you, when you write a poem, you're trying to capture a mood in a moment. Yeah, you it's know? not really a negative, negative poem. Well, it's no. not. It's, it's not why. It's not why I think day to day. I mean, you can hear me. I'll be talking about this for how long now? <laughs> Five, <laughs> ten minutes. You know, it's obviously more nuanced. But 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 you know, you you want to write a poem from a particular place. Um, there's no such thing as a single truth I don't, I don't think I think you know it, everything's layered and, and complicated and, and you know and, and um, what I wanted to do with that poem is just sort of just take an argument and, and, and push it through and encapsulate this, this certain way that I felt at a certain moment um, so and, what's your style then what what kind of how would you describe Luke Wright as a, as a poet well I mean first? just to take with that for example I did deliberately try and wrote, I wrote that deliberately in a very you know kind of for me like an old school kind of way of writing which is a sort of you know a rant poem basically a sort of slam style rant poem okay so that's not really how I write it's quite loose it was just quite simply rhymed I didn't really pay much attention to the sonics really I just wanted to get those it was like he was rhyming opinion basically ranted together and, and put together as a polemic so it sort of you know whooshed towards the end and tried to tried to sort of add some you know emotion and tried to stir people up you know it was, it was like a stump speech kind of poem I don't really write an awful lot of poems like that anymore I think the odd one um, so what is the kind of stuff that I don't know it's hard, do? hard for me to say I mean I, I think I think there's, there's, there's a number of different styles that, that I use and some stuff's quieter and um, but I, I, I just don't really think it's for me mood, to say mood based yeah it's, it is mood based yeah I do I try and capture a mood and I try and capture what way that I'm feeling and I love some of the quieter pieces I, I you know I love the way that Betjeman is able to you know just I don't know it's just so evoc- the best part is so evocative it really puts you in a place and with an aesthetic in mind and then it'll do that and then at the last minute it'll just twist a little knife in your gut sure. so you feel something you're like you know, and, and, and create some emotion in the reader or the listener. I mean, I, I so I try and do that sort of stuff in my quiet. You know, with, you know, my poems. You know, I've just started getting into it. You know, um, I used to write loads when I was at school, and I don't know things when you're younger, especially pre-internet and stuff like that. I think it seemed unobtainable as a career to to do certain stuff like writing. You know, I'd love to have been a journalist, but that meant 
writing for a paper which I didn't want to do or being on TV and, and yeah. doing that and there, there wasn't so much the sort of go off and, and do what you want and be a creator which is sort of why yeah. I'm sort of getting into things mm. later on now but yeah I think with part of the writing and stuff like that I kind of went back to old things that I'd jotted down or ideas that I'd had and then thought oh, I'm going to see what yeah, I didn't even know if there was a scene and yeah. I literally I think I googled something like Essex Poetry and you came up you were oh, the first one and it was just before your uh, the, the toll in South End which was, oh, okay. was that your opening one was that that was, was the, the opening night yeah 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 opening yeah, night it so was of, this to- of this tour yeah I booked some tickets and it was it that was it I was sort of it's a good little gig that actually I was, I was kind of I, I, was, I didn't know how it was all going to go because um you know, the, the owners of the pub saw me support John Cooper Clark in South End the year before. Okay. Um, and they said, Oh, should you come to a gig at a pub? And I was like, Yeah, all right, yeah, yeah sure. great, I'll come. Um, and then it was looking a bit, I thought it was looking a bit quiet. And then all of a sudden, loads of people turned up. Yeah, yeah and, it, and it was totally it was cool. Great. I mean, it was only a small venue, but you know, it was good to know that I hadn't gigged in South End for years and years. So it was really good to know that we had a full house there. And it means that, you know, go back at some point, which would be nice. Yeah, no, I've, I've really, really enjoyed it. And it's sort of, it was. It, I don't want to sound a bit like I said fanboy and stuff like that because yeah I'm sort of just getting into it it was sort of life changing to go oh wow you know there is this poetry scene and then from that led on Mm. to spoken word and Mm. and is there a difference between spoken word and reading aloud a poem no I I don't I think spoken word seems to be this phrase that has taken over and I think it's it's a phrase that 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 um people from outside that world feel more comfortable with it's you know it's, it's been chosen for marketing purposes because you say poetry people think oh god it's that shit I did at school and I want to hear that so people I mean we for a while we I sort of ran a club with this guy called Nathan Pennington in London this is like 10-15 years ago and we, we, we tried to use the phrase stand up poetry to try and make it sound like a more you know which I think is quite a good phrase you know you stand up comedy as somebody stands at a mic and does yeah. does comedy so stand up poetry that kind of I always like that phrase but I think for some people they're not really writing poetry uh, they feel more comfortable with the idea of being a spoken word artist I mean I think, I think the phrase spoken word artist sounds for me sounds really wanky I mean, I'm I'm more used to it now because people use it so so readily. But I would never describe myself as a spoken word artist. It just sounds like a real <laughs> mouthful. It's just like, and also for me, it's not a problem because I am a poet. You know, I, I write poems. You know, I write them in very traditional forms. Yeah. So I, so I have no issue with that. But I think for some people, they're doing things that aren't quite poetry. They're monologues, or you know. So it's just a, it's just a wider phrase to capture stuff. And I think for some people, it's a less scary phrase. Some of their stuff doesn't necessarily work as literature like you know if it was written down it yeah. hasn't got form or, or anything like that and yeah yeah, possibly it, it, it's written with a, with a view to it being performed and only performed and, and I think that's quite nice in a way um, because I think um, there was the other phrase was performance poetry and that was the phrase that was around when I when I first started doing it <laughs> there's actually a guy called Niles Sullivan's written a very he's, a, he's been around for donkeys he's been around even longer than I have um, and um he wrote a good blog on on uh, the different phrases that have gone to describe the thing that we do, um, and you know he said, "Oh, performance poetry was this era." They said that before that it was ranting poetry, and then it was stand up poetry, and you know. So he's if you want to look at his blog, I mean, Niall's blog, great. If you want to understand the um, the world of spoken word or whatever you want to call it, he's he's a very wise man. Um, so he's written a much better blog than describing when all the phrases were and stuff like that. People get snooty about it and. 
funny about it and stuff like that but I just think you know we'll call it it's a marketing issue you know you call it what you want to call it as long as you <laughs> sell tickets to the show and people get to come and see it you know it's not it's not and, really and, you and know discover it, it as well yeah you know just uh, I think yeah. I've, I've really enjoyed discovering yeah like re- I haven't read something for bloody ages I love writing yeah and you read stuff online and but you know to sit and read yeah, and, 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 and I think and, and I've discovered most, that all over again. Most of the poets around lovely. doing gigs and stuff will put out books. It does seem to be the way, and there's, and there's more presses now. Um, so in 2009, um, my wife and I set up a press called Nasty Little Press because um, we sort of saw there was no poetry presses printing sort of you know the, the spoken word scene, you know the, the live live poetry. Um, and so we did that for a number of years, and since then, like a couple of other people have popped up and done it. So. Um, uh, outspoken is one of them. Raymond and okay. Press's Press, and also uh, Burning Eye, which publishes a, a, an incredible amount of books, loads and loads of books. Um, and so now, then now there are outlets for people for spoken poets to get their their work down on the page, and some of some of them are more su- successful than others. Um, certainly, like I've I've spent the last eight years trying to focus my um, my writing for the page, and you know. Uh, I want it to sort of do more than just exist um, in a library and some stuff will work much better live and some stuff some stuff I do just doesn't really work when you put it on the page so it's not gone to the book okay. and some stuff in the book well, I probably would never do on stage because it's just uh, you know it's not so it's flexible in terms yeah. of okay there's a thought of feeling I'll, I'll create something and how that gets put on display is sort of yeah well I, well, I think definitely depends so, on what so, comes so, some, yeah, so, and I think it's mood as well some things are just quieter and subtler and they might work read aloud to people but you can't really sort of make a stage show out of them I mean you know stuff in, like, stuff in here there's what 35 poems in this book and you know in the show there's nine and there's a few more that could have, could have could work in the show but there's plenty in here that I just wouldn't really put into a show because it's just not that kind you don't get and often it's just, often it's just look, practical things like length there's, there's something about the building up of tension when someone is performing a poem on stage mm. that there's a certain point where the audience at the end of it will just they'll, they'll clap at the end of it and there's that, there's that you know, and it feels like a complete piece and, and it's that nice feeling um, that the, 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 the performer and the audience get that you've finished a thing and everyone's having a moment you know um, shorter pieces you can do them uh, it, and I think it's about establishing that relationship with the audience be like it's okay not to clap after this one it's fine don't feel the need to clap the clapping is just more just a sort of palate cleanser in between yeah you know? sure yeah not it's not about applauding the person really um and so you know the more traditional you know, often at poetry readings people won't clap at all in, in between poems and it feels appropriate often in those situations there doesn't need to be a moment of silence and contemplation at the end of a yeah. poem then you can move forward my shows aren't so much like that there are there are you know more serious pieces but they tend to be a bit longer they stories um, but then there's it, some definite laugh out loud pieces. Yeah, and there's loads of funny bits as well. Yeah, and I and I always like the, the, that balance. And, and particularly with this show, I, I really want to take people to some quite dark places. There's a poem in the show in, in the book called Lullaby, which yeah. at the end of people just don't want to clap at the end of it. They don't. It feels really awkward and weird to clap at the end of that poem. And I can't remember when I came to South End. Did we, we didn't do music, did we? We didn't do a song. No, I don't think you sing. Yeah, so 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 so, so <laughs> the thing is, no, that? I don't sing, but the, <laughs> okay. but the, the, one of the poems is set to music, and we didn't do it in Southend because it just sounded terrible through the PA. We didn't have enough time to right. sound check, so then we dropped it. But generally, at the end of Lullaby, which is this very awkward moment, the music normally kicks in. Okay. Um, and we do that in the next piece to music, and it just sort of you know it gives everyone a chance. Easy sort of people recover. into the next one. Yeah. yeah, cool. And I just I'm very interested in this idea of you know taking people and really having them laugh in one minute and then making them you know 
really yeah. you know and, and I think that's something that that we can do on stage with with poetry that you can't do with comedy and I often use comedy as a reference point just because I grew up watching stand-up comedy and did the comedy circuit for a bit and so have you so, ever done stand-up comedy well I mean I, I, mean, I, I even when I did the comedy circuit I always did poems but you know I do intros I mean I, you know I kind of feel to an extent I do yeah there's sort of like intro joke yeah. stories yeah. leading up to giving yeah. a poem but they're, they're always nearly always I mean some things do deviate off and just separate little bits of stand-up there's two or three bits that I've got which is just stand-up really but they're all kind of they're all based on true stories all anecdotal and yeah um, but I think it's a lovely space in between poems because you can be funny you can be informative you can be serious um, and, and there's no real pressure on any of those things because everybody knows there's a poem coming and yeah. so we're in downtime so it gives you a real space to play and you know watching I've learned a lot watching John Cooper Clark and the way that he uses those spaces and his, those spaces in between poems are very very long for him and then he does go off on total tangents and stuff, and they are almost, you know, set pieces within themselves. Um, and I just think that there's something about that space that is better to play around in than just doing straight stand-up, where there is this pressure that you've got to be making people laugh. And this is the thing, they are what, you know, the, the, you know when you're talking, you're in the thing. Whereas when you're doing poetry, in between, everyone, there's this sort of subconscious understanding that we're not, in the show right now we're doing an extra bit but of yeah. course you are it's all both planned and meticulous and I don't ever write those bits in between poems I take the poem on stage and just and feel, feel int- it out yeah, yeah intro it uh, and as I'm introing it I stop to feel out where those jokes might be um, and funny bits might be and I extend it and you know and then the bits that work stay and then eventually over time it sort of sticks and then you've got a complete set yeah it's quite a long process but it's it's a nice one to go through so you said that you've been around for for a while. You're not an old guy. When when did it start? Well, I'm thirty five, and I've been performing since I was seventeen. The day after my seventeenth birthday. So you know, it's it was eighteen years this year. Um, yeah. So it's getting on for twenty years. Yeah. It is a while. Yeah, which is yeah a long time. Yeah, it's long longer than I have, hadn't been doing it. So over half my life. Yeah. <laughs> um, Good way of looking at it. Yeah. Um, so what what's that journey looked like in terms of? your writing and getting better presumably and, yeah. and style and performing and in terms of it becoming a career because I shouldn't imagine that you finished at school at whatever 17 and, yeah and well I was I was a sixth form when I did my first gigs um, and I didn't do very many at first I was, I was into I was in a band as well and so I was always being creative but I mean you know you think you're working hard on something when you're 17 and you get to the end of the year you've written six things you know you think oh, well, look at me. <laughs> you know you don't have that kind of serious work I think and also also you know a-level students and to a lesser extent university students have worked very hard um, you know and there was always big essays to write and stuff like that and there wasn't you know um, but I went off to university and I went to UEA which is where my friend Ross Sutherland had gone and I met Ross I watched him do a gig the very first gig I ever watched John Cooper Clark Martin Newell and him um, and I um, then uh, sought him out and became friends with him and said, oh, I sort like him out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like you. Yeah. I need to be standing next yeah, to you. <laughs> basically, yeah. I was like, I like you. I want to be. I'm going to make you my friend. Yeah. Um, and That's why I'm sitting here, Luke. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. I, th- I think. I think I'm a big. That's one of the nice things about the internet. You just, you know, you see people that you like, and and you go, oh, I like you. We, we, we'd get on well. Um, you know, that's you know, we mentioned Jack Monroe earlier, and that's how I met Jack. Just through, sure. just through tweeting her and stuff, and you know. I think. Around, I yeah. think. Jack's brilliant. Yeah, she's great. Just, yeah, she's really good. Everything she's that's been said on, on austerity and and just 
yeah mm. definitely uh, would love to to sit down and talk to Jack for an hour about whatever she you know whatever comes up I think that'd be awesome well I recommend just keep tweeting her she's just a very busy person with yeah, lots of people there you go, there you go. Yeah. Um, she's starting doing poetry I've booked her for festival number six have you yeah she's going to do that she's going to do some poems for festival number six so we also, that's exciting isn't it yeah um, so uh, yeah so I, I so then went to university I met some other like-minded individuals and we uh, what did you study at uni English uh, okay and then um, but that, that didn't really have a bearing on, on, on the poetry writing to be honest I did no. some creative writing courses that didn't have a huge bearing on it as well and I did a script writing course and a short story course and it didn't really sort of reflect on the poetry very much but, but being around other people who were committed and keen to their writing and who believed in editing and feeding back and improving and not being nice to one another you know you know, not not being, not being you know falsely kind, you know about work. Yeah. Just to say, well, that doesn't work. This bit needs to be better. You know, giving feedback. Being in that environment, with people like Tim Clare and Joel Stickley and Joe Dunthorne, and uh, later on John Osborne and Molly Naylor, but um, you know, and Ross Sutherland, and just people who are now all professional writers. Um, you know, I be- honestly believe we spurred each other on. Uh, you know, we might not have all sort of you know made a, made a career out of it had we not had we not all known each other and you know established that kind that's, of environment. Yeah, that's lovely. And particularly someone like like Tim Clare and Joel Stickley, they were very good, very, very incredibly intelligent people, two of the cleverest people I've ever known. And um, they just were uh, incredible at giving feedback. We'd go to Creative Rights Society on a Friday, we'd sit around and we'd read, someone would read a piece, and then everyone would go around the table and offer some feedback on it. And they were just so articulate and kind, but also, you know, uh, 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 you know, Un- unwavering in, 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 in sort of trying to improve things through yeah. criticism um, I just thought it was incredible I'd never sort of come across people like that before um, and yeah definitely so, 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 they, so they really brought that I mean what what I brought to our little group was I, I've always been a bit of an organiser and uh, um, and uh, you know I'm and are you a fellow list maker <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm very I'm very <laughs> much a list, list maker I'm, I make lists less these days actually but yeah I am a list maker I'm an organiser I was always put, I was putting on gigs even when I was in sixth form and so I sort of started putting on gigs and I was like we should go to Edinburgh oh, this is how you do it and I'd you know I'd just take us up to Edinburgh or yeah. we should go to Glastonbury I've sent them a letter and you know we've got us in and you know stuff like that so yeah um, so that uh, end, ended up being this group of four of us at the end it was myself Ross, uh, Chris Hicks, and Joel Stickley, who sort of were at Isle Sixteen back in the back in the day, and we did this show called Poetry Boy Band, which was our most successful show. I did that at the Fringe in two thousand and five, and that was kind of the turning point. I think two thousand and five, we got an Arts Council grant. We'd, we'd done a show the year before called PowerPoint, and that gone quite well as well. And we sort of did our first little tour, and Ross and I went full time, and we were, I think we gave up our other jobs worked every day and wrote and yeah and then I did a solo show the following year 2006 and that was that was a big sort of turning point for me I think because I ended up doing a lot of the same gigs that we've been doing as a foursome but I was doing them on my own so I was getting right. four times the amount of money which actually made it possible to live I think before that I was just you know on, just I don't know how I survived really yeah. I was so skinned um, and that thing's really sort of changed there and I haven't had you know and that's sort of been fairly steady income for me ever since I mean it was a little blip here and there but um so I've done did uh... and that's pretty amazing really for like you're saying you know the Cinderella of the arts the most yeah. most people can't make a living out of mm. writing some verse right 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, would you say that's true? I don't know. Like, I said, uh, there's not uh, a lot I know about poetry at this point. Um, yeah, I mean, I, well, I think you know. I mean, you know, it, it, it's about being able to. Do, for me, it's always about. I mean, there's workshops as well, and lots of poets earn their money through workshops and you know, running courses and that sort of thing. Um, you just you sling it together best you can, you know. But um, but for me, the, the it, it, it's gigs, and it's you know, if you can convince, you know. 50 to 100 people that come and see your show in every town you go to and they're all going to pay a tenner and you're going to pay 20% of it 30% of the venue and the rest of it then you can make good money and do you do more like your own shows versus something like I went to Bang Said the Gun and there's lots of you know shows be it whether they're you know cobbled together by a curator that then sticks in half a dozen posts there's a number of clubs there's more clubs around now than there was um, and good clubs I've, I've done very few of them to be honest um, I don't get asked to be honest I mean I, I do bang I you know, do, do a gig for bang generally you know, about once a year um, and I know those guys and you know, they're good guys and they run a good night um, but um, I enjoyed it when I went I thought um, yeah great fun it's, it's, I, I, like, I like what they do uh, um, you know and um, you know, they're a force for good in the poetry world and they're just nice people as well you know yeah. um, all those guys and you know Laurie and Dan and uh, Rob and Martin and they're just and Peter Hayho and and uh, Jack Rook used to do it for a bit and they're just they're just good people really and you know they know how to put on a good night and I, I, each I, of them would like speaking so you know maybe fifteen to to twenty five minutes or something yeah you, you do like an hour long show well yeah I mean you can't really make a li- there's not enough clubs you know if you would I mean in comedy there there's enough clubs that you can be doing gigging every single night sure you just you know six seven six seven nights a week. And you could make enough money that way, um, but there aren't enough. If you just did clubs, you couldn't make a living out of that. But you don't get paid as much. It's a funny thing with clubs; they tend to be cheaper to get into, and they have more people on the bill doing slightly less. Um, but I find that actually, if I if I go to, you know, I don't know, name of town. If I go to uh, Leicester and did a club. I'm less likely to people are less likely to come along and watch me there than if I went to Leicester and did a solo show you know or wherever it is I can go there and I can sell 60 to 100 tickets but the, I'd go to a club and there'd be less because I think a lot of people who go see you don't want to see you at a club they want to if they want to see you they want to see you yeah uh, and they'll go to the show and they want to get a full night's worth out they don't necessarily always want to take a risk on the other people on the bill and I guess I'd be the same if I really loved you know I know Stuart Lee, you know, I wouldn't. I'd rather go see Stuart Lee's solo show than go watch him do twenty minutes at a club somewhere. Um, so that's what makes sense. But those clubs often are cheaper to get into than going to watch someone's show, and so the so the finances of it just don't sort of I, work. I like both, you know? right? As a consumer, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like going to both. Yeah, I think, no, I'm yeah, sure a lot of people, lot of people do. Points. But I mean, I, I just I, it just doesn't seem to it just doesn't sort of it just doesn't work you know if, if I can go somewhere and perform on my own artistically mainly artistically that's much more interesting for me because I have much longer to, you know, I can do my show the thing I really spend time on making work I don't just have to cobble together a set um, and I get paid so much more to do it you know I can make a living out of it um, and it just um, it seems to be what the people who come see my shows prefer as well just because I can sell more tickets that way not always um, but you know yeah, I always think, you know, because people do, those clubs cost, you know, five, six, seven quid to get into, generally. Yeah. Um, most solo shows at an art centre will cost ten quid. Yeah. You know, and you get, you get more acts sure, at, yeah, at, yeah. at the clubs, but, um, you know, so I don't, you know, but there, there is a practical consideration with it, you know. So how do you go about writing a show? Uh, is it 
that's a collection of poems that I wrote. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's how this one worked. Um, It was about finding, I mean, primarily, because because obviously I do shows every year and I do a collection every sort of four, three, four years. So, like, uh, I was conscious that I didn't want people to have to see stuff they'd seen in previous shows. But at the same time, I wanted to do a show promoting the book you know to sort of say yeah, yeah. I wanted to sort of you know so um, there's three poems in this in this that have been in previous shows there's the two Essex Lion poems and the Toll uh, the title piece um, so the Toll have been in Stay at Home Dandy and Essex Lion have been in the Essex Lion show but I figured since I'd never really repeated material from show to show in nine shows and you know there were 12 years or whatever I thought well <laughs> I'll cut myself some slack and I, I, I will include those pieces because people like to hear them again um, but generally everything else was all the new stuff the latest the stuff I'd written at the end of 2015 and then most of the show was written in 2015 the univocal pieces and so you know or then things that had never been in shows before so I I, I, I did that so the, it was it was my attempt to sort of offer people a new hour of stuff and then also to try, try and find a through line which I think has come through more clearly you saw the, you saw the opening night um, there is definitely this sort of through line of sort of being sad and trying to find ways of dealing with being sad and sort of talking about breaking up of my marriage although not directly I mean I do mention in between one of the poems it quite directly but the poems themselves tend to be just going off at tangents and so hopefully it's just a little you know, and most of them tend to be little little moments of where I am in my life at that moment you know little, you know, and so they tend to branch off in political directions or story directions or you know or, or emotional directions like you said um, earlier whatever takes the mood when you feel like yeah. writing how often do you write uh, nowhere near as often as I should do I'm trying to write every day at the moment but you know it's because I've got something to write is that like one new thing or is that a day's worth and if I get one poem out of that or ten I'll well, take I, it I haven't written poems for so long I've, I've been writing this I've been writing this my second play which is a basically a very long poem yeah so I spent I spent the last nine months working on that. Is that what you're doing at Edinburgh this year? Yeah, Frankie Barr it's called. And I've just did the first performances of it like two weeks ago at Norwich North Festival, um, which was yeah, it was good, really fun to do, um, and I, I find them very challenging things. You know, these the, the, these play very you know I've so written two now, um, and so yeah, um, so that's really what writing a show to me is at the moment, which is writing this continuous piece from scratch. And the show is is just you, is it? It's, yeah. say it's like a play. It's like a story. It's, it's a, like a story. You know, I go, I go on stage and I, I take the role of a character and I, I say that character's story, I tell that character's story, but it's all in verse. It's in varying verse patterns. But Frankie Varr is mainly in blank verse, but there's some ballad meter, there's some rhyming bits in there as well. I can't wait to see it, but the toll's out now. That's the one that. Yeah, so totally, I saw. But I'm, I'm, I'm still touring. So the idea was to do six months of touring with the toll take me up to Edinburgh and I've still got I don't know best part of 10 dates left to do on that um, and then I did my last one of those in end of July at Port Elliot and then yeah it's a month of doing Frankie Bar. but then I've got a few more tour tour toll tour dates uh, in the autumn as well because generally what happens you take a show to Edinburgh and get a buzz going around and you start booking a tour and then you get it out again the following year so next year will be all about doing Frankie Bar. well and, and whilst that's going on I'll be writing poems for the following year because I think I'll probably go back to do a poetry show the following year and I'd quite like to do something a bit more cohesive I've got an idea for a show to do in 2019 so I'll be writing all that so end of this year and you're thinking next far year. ahead yeah well I think you have to some ways and sort of just, you know to sort of you know, 
I, I do. I'm looking forward to getting this film, the film version of Johnny Bevan out of the way, because it, well, I'd like to have a bit more time just to sort of muck around and write poems. Um, and I will do muck that. Around. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's, well, it is more mucking around, having fun, and going, "Oh, I fancy writing about that. Oh, I fancy." It's really free. And when you've gone from writing a really difficult long form piece, which is taking you a year, the, the thought of going back to just sort of you know yeah. writing poems is it feels just like fun. You know, I can't wait. And I do really want to do that because I do find it fun. I do. It's my favourite part of my job is writing and performing poems. But there is, it does. There is the sense that you know, doing something like Frankie Barr or Johnny Bevan is harder, and therefore it is more rewarding. You know, so. So can we hear something from it then? Yeah, sure. Do we hear, on to next do you hear something from um, the Toll? Let's hear something from the Toll. All I'm right. going to put all the links up and stuff like that. I mean, there's. I, I, I before you, whilst you find something that you want to read, it's. Do you know what it's, I have a, it's a massive roller coaster, really, in terms of where you take people from, where you can clearly see, okay, that's where he's got his inspiration from, that's where, he, and they're all different places, but then they're all different poems as well. You know, you've got some real melancholic feels to yeah, some. I think there's quite a lot of variation. I'm, I'm really pleased with this book. Um, it's a funny thing when you release a book, especially in poetry, because the poetry publishing world is such a small little thing. Um, I'm super. This, 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 I'm, I'm more proud of this collection than I am of anything I've done. I feel this is like this is four years, and also there's a thing with the poems. Every single one of them has to be a fresh idea. So like a play is like like a pint, right? And, and a poem is like a shot. There's as much alcohol in every single poem as there is in the entire long form thing. Yeah. But it's just sort of like so you know it's 35 shots in here, you know, and, and it would take almost as long to, to do as the, and as, all, as the one. They play. are all different. You've got your standards, kind of okay, yeah, that's easy to digest poems mm. like your vodka shots. But yeah. then you've got some real apple sours in there. And <laughs> it is a journey. I, I'm, I'm not like, sure how far this metaphor is going to stretch, but I like the other <laughs> fact that we're doing it. Um, so yeah, so so one so, okay, so I, I know what I'm going to read. So. One of the things I I, I I really like experimenting with form, um, and one of my favourite forms is the the univocal lipogram or univocalism, which is a which is a piece of writing that only uses one type of vowel throughout the whole piece. So there's a couple that I do in my show. One about Ian Duncan Smith called IDS, and one about a bloke in a pub called Burt Up Pub. Um, is that which, what you're going to do now? No, I'm not going to do either of those ones because I think they're not really... <laughs> the Burt Up Pub is disgusting. You'll have to come to a show to hear about it. Or see the video, which is online. I read it to my missus. Now, yeah, yeah. I, I, what I, one of the things that I love about uh, uh, poetry and stuff like that is subjective and you can... Yeah. One person can really love someone. Like, my missus is Spanish. Yeah. I read her Burt Up Pub and yeah. she was like, get that at all yeah, it's yeah. definitely one that you have to see being performed yeah I think I possibly, thought it was yeah. so amazing no right? I think it's nice to say you use one vowel I mean let's go over that you use one vowel one vowel in the whole piece yeah no I think but I think yeah well uh, so I'm going to do the first one of these that I wrote okay um, well it's not the first one I wrote but it's the first one that's in this book so there's, there's one in my previous book so in this book I've got one for each of the vowels so I'm going to write crazy. I'm going to read you the O one which is about um about, about a couple of hipsters, I guess, who, who decided to take a day trip in Bolton. But I can't use the word hipster, so uh, I've used the word sloth uh, to describe it. But, you know, anyway, Ron's knockoff shop. Cool London sloth. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. 
Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Let's go north to Bolton. Oz, proto-fop on lots of pots. Hull, posh kook, long socks, blonde flop. Oh, Bolton's not so droll. Bolton's not got Rococo blocks. Bolton's got no doms or profs. Bolton's got no dot-com showrooms, no comforts for London cohorts. No. Bolton's got lots of old workshops, lots of soot, lots of orthodox lowbrows who mop floors or drown sorrows. Poor old Bolton. Soz. Low. Bolton's got Ron Ock, Odd Job Bod, Compost Gob, Ron's Old Shop Flogs, Knock Off Dross, Low Cost, Low Cog Togs, Non Cotton Cotton Socks, Row on Row of Dolls for Tots, Old Promo Photos of Beyond Borg, Pooh Brown Ponchos, Off Food, Crossbows, Goth Porn, Docks for Opods. Ron's Old Now. Ron's got no boss, Ron's got know-how, Ron knows how to hold forth, knows how to shop for top knock-off tosh, knows how to cough off no good cops. Front of shop, Ron plonks bottom down on worn old stool, scoffs pork roll, down shots of scotch, croons old Motown songs, blow soot, blow snot, blows bottom off. Ron's dog Bozo growls, soft growls, both bollocks, lollop. London sloths stroll from block to block. Oz spots Ron's old shop. Oh, cool shop, Oz hoots. Hole, look, hole, looks. Oh, wow. Hole drools on Ron's hotchpotch lot of knock-off rot. Oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, Oz, look, 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 look. London sloths blow lots of dosh on Ron Ock's kosh of knock-off tosh. Oh, Ron Ock. Good, good. Ron scoffs. Now sod off. Sod off. Oh, so north. Ho, ho, ho. Sloths opt not to sod off. Sloths opt to stroll off. Oh, so slow. Ron lolls. Rolls sloths dosh. London morons. Lock shop for long month off. Roll on tomorrow.
lot of O's. I love that, man. <laughs> I think people listening should let that sink in. That's just using the vowel O. Yeah, <laughs> no other vowels. No, no other vowels. But it forces, how, do you st- how long did of, that take to write? Uh, I, I, I don't know. I can't remember. It was a while ago. And so, so initially, so um, I was sort of put onto this um, by um, my mate Ross, who's a great experimenter, a fearless experimenter in form, is our dear, our dear Ross. And um, so it's, it's, a, it's a technique pioneered by the Oulipi, which are an experimental French literature group. And there are there were sort of reactions. It was a sort of reaction to surrealism in so much the surrealists were like, look how free we are, you know, we're yeah. crawling a horse, bigger than a house. Um, <laughs> and uh, the Ulipo, um were like, no, you're not free. You're just obeying rules that you don't understand. In order to truly free the subconscious, you must place the mind in constraints and force you to dig deeper into it. Um, which is an interesting yeah. way of looking at it. A nice theory. Um, and um, yeah, and I was sort of aware of it because I used to teach this John Cuba Clark poem called The Pest, which is an entirely alliterative poem. And I've written, I've written my own alliterative poems, which are nearly all just beginning with one yeah. letter. And it does, you can't control where the narrative's going to go at all, really. You have to just fling it together best you can. And it does do something. There is, you know, where, where the story actually comes from, you have no idea. You don't, you don't go, because mostly a poem will be like, I want to write about such and such, or this is a great line, I wonder where it'll lead me, or, or I have this feeling, or I have this image in my mind, and I want to try and bring title, that to life. Yes, yeah, or a title, a yeah, start point. titles are great, some sort of start point. But and that's, this, that's you don't what I don't have get that. with these vowel ones. Yeah, you it's, don't have it. You just crazy. have to start writing so you get something, and then it just sparks another idea, it sparks another idea, it's, it's, it's total idea spark, and it's just sort of great fun. And what you end up with is it does tend to say something about the way you look at the world so then there, there I've got I've got a couple of sort of privileged people being ripped off and embarrassed by a, by a sort of canny less privileged person I think it's pretty you know it's pretty black and white it's pretty obvious you know, it's, you know and it's very nuanced but it's meant to just be a bit of fun yeah um and I just sort of, and I think, oh, 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 sort of put that sort of, oh, kind of, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. And I don't even know what, um, I just, I just, I just also say, anyway, when I first wrote it, I used the, the va- I used Y, um, because that's how we always did them. And the Ulipo were always like, you can't use Y, Y is a vowel. Okay. Um, I mean, we don't see it as a vowel in English, but it does perform the role of a vowel. And I think does, in, yeah. in French, which is what they're originally writing in the Ulipo, um, that it, that, that, that it's very much considered a vowel. Yeah. So Ross and Joe and Tim, who had done the initial sort of univocalisms, went to an Ulipo meeting and they they got sort of hounded out of there for using Y. <laughs> and their their philosophy was always like you can't you you can't do it without Y. The poems would be shit. It's just it's just too restrictive. So I, I the first wrote that with why so stuff like go north and Bolton footy footy town not one for months now is on the lines that I had to lose unfortunately and then it was only like 18 months ago I did a gig with uh, Mark Grist and Mark had written a univocalism and did this univocalism which he used why um, Mark Grist and um, so I did I just dug this one out of my laptop and I was like oh I'm going to read this if he's done one and then I, it just was bugging me I was thinking do you know what the why does really ruin it ru- 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 you, ruins the purity of the sound I'm, re- I'm really into sound sound is yeah. a big thing for me 
Um, and I was like, every time you have a Y word, it just spoils it, you know. And it and it does make it easy. And I was like, I bet I could. So I translated this from a, a Univocalism using Y. I took all the Ys out, and I was really, I was like, yeah, it kind of works. So, so from there, I went on to write the other four, thinking, yeah, I'm just going to take what Y so out. So that's of the this. first one you wrote. So well, this is the second one. I wrote one in E before that, but I think using the odd Y in E is fine because the Y is making any sound. So yeah, I think. Sure. So for me, it's about the sound purity. Although I mean, in here I've got growl and I've got Bjorn Borg and that's kind of cheating because you know the, the, the J and the, and the W are sort of performing are changing the sounds of the vowels but I allowed myself that it's all about making your own decisions really but um, I don't know where I start but yeah I think you know you know I, I can't remember I didn't have sloths originally but um, yeah go north to Bolton I just had that line and you know, cool London sloths or whatever I had before that go north to Bolton and I was like that's quite an interesting line isn't it you know two guys from London go to Bolton you know you immediately have a tension there so that's quite interesting yeah. so, then, so, then, so that, then that that's just actually kicking off point love it um, so I don't really know how other things went I mean this one um, so you're not going to do but I, I'll, I'll do ideas for you though because because it would be interesting do a contrasting one yeah yeah because yeah, I, mean, yeah, yeah, I want sure. people to go and see the show and because I think some of these yeah, ones I'm they happy need, to do idea. I won't do but I think I do but I just think it, I just think no, it's, it needs need a bit of space yeah. yeah so ideas this is about Ian Duncan Smith who um, for the uninitiated was um, was work and pension secretary for six years uh, in Cam- Cameron's cabinet. Uh, and previously been leader of the Conservative Party, and is you know obviously sees himself as a sort of social reformer, um, but has made some kind of I think kind of you know hard decisions, and, and a lot of that um, there's been an ideological drive to get to get to get the uh, to get um, to shrink the state, and uh, and it's had a really awful effect on on people and benefits for, yeah. for various reasons. And um, there's a company called um, Atos, not Asos. Asos is the Asos is the clothing company. Yeah. A different Atos, uh, who they you know French firm which they um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They um, outsourced the yeah. work to. And I, I've got a friend who's um, got rheumatoid arthritis. I mean, he's he's bed bound on a number of days, and they tried to stop his benefits. It also happens he's a clever university educated man who, who knows how to stick up for himself, um, and has got good support people around him, and was able to appeal and to get together a court appeal, which was incredibly stressful. But a lot of people just and don't have, and a lot of people that, don't have do that. You know, yeah. they, they, you know, let's be honest. You know, a lot of people they they they, they receive a form and say we're cutting your benefits. Just don't know where, where they even fucking begin. Yeah. Um, you know, and this, you know, this, this has been, this is something that's been happening over Britain. So anyway, so I, I kind of thought, well, I wanted to write about Ian Duncan Smith in some way, and I wanted it to be a sort of feisty, kind of punky, kind of sort of thing. And so I thought, oh, I'll see if I can write about him using only one vowel. And obviously, there's an immediate problem in that is that it's more than one vowel in his name alone. So, but also, he's also known by his initials I D S. So again, I'm slightly ruining the sound because I D E, you know, D S. But I mean, they're only words, so technically I can get away with it. So I thought when I, so I started writing this piece, and I thought, well, I'll read the piece and I'll talk about it afterwards. But yeah, I D S for Ian Duncan Smith. But can I? Can I still? Because you know, satire. I thought maybe it'd be a comment on satire itself. The idea that you know, sometimes as a satirist, you feel very sort of, you know, limited writing a poem. Yeah having a go well, what, well that's not going to change the world is it so I thought actually if you, if you take all the vowels out and make it even harder for yourself it sort of makes a comment on the very nature of satire itself and it's yeah, kind of yeah. nature I also just figured that it'd be such a difficult thing to do that the fact that low, you know, it's a very not a very new thing to be having a go in Duncan Smith of course I wrote this poem and about three months later he resigned as well <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so I like to think the poem did it but yeah anyway IDS 
This is IDS. This swinish, thin grin spilling cringing scripts is IDS. This priggish birch whip. This piss dripping fright witch with whitish skin wig. This jiggling tit hitting skint Brits in mining districts. This grim Christ victimising sick kids with dwindling tit bits. This is IDS. Mimicking kings, ripping ribs in glitz grills, licking his lips, thinking this is bliss, piling it high, sipping his gin fizz whilst Brits flinch in wind chills, sticking pins in him. This is IDS, inking his lists, girls with six kids, inciting right-wing print kingpins, hissing pish, stirring fright, twisting victims till victims stink, till victims swim in ill will, till British dimwits drift right. This is IDS. I wish him midnight shifts. I wish him sinking ships. I wish him limp dicks. I wish him ship picnics in drizzling mist with Isis. I wish him blind with hindsight. I wish him illicit kinship with pigs. So, um... <laughs> I love yeah. that. <laughs> well, I just like, I love the way it, force, it forces you to create, to create euphemism. And, the, and, then, and then you find, well. you find, um, you know, so, you know, I mean, there was that thing that he had that £50 breakfast or whatever, which yeah, you know, the yeah, taxpayer yeah, paid for. That. So, you know, mimicking kings, ripping ribs in glitz grills, this idea of him is this sort of Henry VIII type thing. <laughs> sort of, you know, yeah, thinking, you know, sipping his gin fizz, thinking this yeah. is bliss. You know, you're sort of finding whatever you can whilst Brits flinch in wind chill, sticking pins. So, you know, I'd yeah. never write a line like that if I had all the vowels there. But, you know, you know, that went to blow my own trumpet I think whilst Brits flinching windshield sticking pins in him I think it's just a fucking evoca- an no. evocative line like yeah. I, it's so much better than anything I would have come up with had I not and I think these poems they do I think there's I don't remember writing these univocalisms I, I can rem- really? I can remember right. I mean I know I remember that I know, I know that I did but I don't remember the writing process I, I mean I, what I remember about this is I wrote one verse and thought well, I, won't, I won't be able to carry this on there's no way I'll get yeah. to a satisfactory ending I would have thought that that had been such a painful process it would have been hard it to was, forget it was but you know what I wrote this IDS poem I wrote it in about two hours <sighs> which is much less than I just it just something it just it just was coming at this point it was just flowing I think because I'd written an A1 by this point I'd written an O1 I'd written a U1 um, you know it was just sort of I thought can I can I keep this up I'll never be and there's another, there's another poem um, in my uh, first book called Houses That Used To Be Boozers which has got a very tight rhyme I'll probably read it in a bit because it's one of my favourites and it's got it's, cool. it's, it's very tightly r- rhymed um, and I sort of started that and I thought I'm never going to be able to maintain this form. It's too much. It requires too much rhyming. I'm never going to be able to make sense out of it. Yeah. And actually, it's telling that when you try something and think, I won't be able to keep this up, is exactly those moments when you do keep it up. And when, when you get to the end of it, it, it's some of the best stuff you've written. So I love that way that form does that. All form does that. But, but those, those extreme forms really push you into creating something that not only sounds great, but it just, it, it, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. I, 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 could, I had to find a yeah, way yeah, yeah. of saying those things in that way. And so I found, you know, much more interesting ways. And I'm not, because I'm not, I'm not a very, um, I couldn't write surrealist sort of poetry. I've got a friend, a guy called Luke Kennard, um, 
and he's a, a fabulous surreal poet I mean he's the star I just I couldn't do that his imagination just the, the, the places he takes the metaphor the places he takes you to just kind of blow my mind I, could, I couldn't do that and so I use form to sort of push me away from pedestrian language which is where I naturally want to go to I, I'm a big believer in, in, in cliche and I think you know I think that some of the most powerful poems is when you can end on a fairly cliched line, but to have earned the cliche. Right. You know, the ultimate is to, to end a poem saying, I love you, and, and to have earned that in some way. I, mean, I don't think it's possible to do that, to make it an, an interesting line. But it's just those, you know, because actually those simple lines that we all know yeah, and all associate with our own lives, um, those are the ones that will twist your heartstrings at the last moment and make people, oh, you know, make people cry. And, Mike uh, Gary did that for me when I. Mike when Gary's I an him. expert at that. I just, from start hey, to you, finish, you know, I hung you, on you, you take word. take any line out of Mike Gary poem, you're like, but you know, but there's something about some of their parts. Yeah. You got it makes you feel. He's very good at doing that, particularly live. You know, he just you know he really sells it to you. But I think I think there's you know, but I like that that thing of being able to sort of earn. Um, a pedestrian, you know, a, a, a line that feels quite. Pat, you know, yeah, but but by placing it at the end of some other lines that take you in an interesting place, you've kind of earned it, I think. Yeah, so that was that was from the the toll, the show that you're touring at the moment, the book that's out, and people yeah. can grab. and I highly recommend doing both the book and the show, especially for for ones like Burr Pub. But the, the toll comes from the Dartford toll, yeah, a fair way away from here. Uh, where, where was the inspiration for that? I was just well, I've, you know, like like any good southerner, I've spent my time. I put my time in queuing for the Dartford toll because <laughs> you don't you don't queue anymore now. They've replaced it all with cameras, so it is better. Yeah, off but well, no, I don't think it is because I've just got a fine through the post because well, you go well, out on a Sunday, you have a nice day. Yeah, no, don't Kent. talk to me. I've been fined so many times, and now I've signed. I'm signed up, and now I have to think about it. Yeah. You got to sign up on like sign up. You give me your number plate, and then it just takes it out of your bank account if you go through so I go through the Dartford Toll probably two or three times a week because I'm I my girlfriend lives in Brighton so, yeah, okay, so yeah, I sure. made I make the journey from here to Brighton which is almost exactly three hours on the nose and I'm making it today I do it all the time and um, so yeah but yeah I used to and I, Simon you want to talk to Simon Day about this he's very cross about the Dartford Toll he's never paid any of it he's, 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 he reckons he's got in the hundreds of fines and he's ignored them all I don't I can't remember to pay it he says <laughs> um, but um, yeah so but there was this cr- thing where you, where you'd queue up you, you, there was the great British tradition of queuing to get into the tunnel and one day I just went through and I paid my money to this woman in the toll booth and I just had this sort of thought you know I thought I'm, I'm really drawn to these non-spaces I mean me and the guys write a show about service stations I've always written about motorways and roads and and so I was like, you know, when, you know when you're sort of stopped on, on, on the carriageway and you realise how big it is, how, how wide a motorway is. It's this yeah. massive space, but you'd never walk on it. No one ever walks on a motorway. Yeah. They're really inhospitable places. And I just looked at this woman sitting in this toll booth and thought, my God, imagine working here in this crowd. Well, these cars, and it's terrifying when the cars go, you know, you know, you know, if you've ever stood next to a busy road, it's, you know, it's a really terrifying experience. Um, really dangerous. Yeah. And imagine working in the middle of all that. It's a very hostile, non-place. And I just wrote down Tollbooth Tracy. And it just sounded like a real sort of... Um, I just like the idea of writing about a Tollbooth. I like the alliteration. It just, it just made me think of a Blur song, sort of thing Damon Albarn would have written them in the mid-90s. Yeah. That's all I had. A Tollbooth Tracy. I, had it. I, don't know, I found it, actually, in, 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 a note of it. 
it must have been the end of 2013 and it wasn't until the summer of 2014 I was just like oh, I started to formulate the story in my head that she was you know looking for an escape and the idea of toll it just all sort of layered those ideas and in, in the end I sort of wrote this story about this woman who um, grows up with a, a, a mother who's an alcoholic although that's not immediately obvious it was it sort of hinted at until about two thirds of the way through the poem um, and the decision she decides to make which is not to immediately get out when she hits 16 but to actually stay around and help her mum even yeah. though her mum never helped her and that sense of duty when as a family member and then I sort of only after I'd written it performed it a few times I started thinking well where's that come from what, I was going to ask what was that, that story? Was my question yeah, where's what's this the, creation of this character well yeah well, I, well, it was a subconscious one but actually I think it's come from my own mother who who for, and uh, um, her being the Tracy character because my mum grew up in Zimbabwe and uh, her really? parents wow. put her in a children's home when she was six and it was because um my understanding is that her dad was an alcoholic and was violent towards right. her mother and her mother couldn't cope but the parents stayed together so my mum's parents stayed together had three more children all of which they gave away to the state and my mum when she was 18 traced her mum dad back to England her mum moved back to England at this point and she, okay. my mum moved across here well she was 21 she moved across here and she went and um sought her out in St Albans and she stayed with her for a bit and tried to establish some kind of relationship with her um, and then when my nan died we used to go see my nanny once in a while um, but I didn't, was never particularly close to her but my mum would go and she would take us and we'd go every sort of year or every couple of, you know, every couple, couple of three times a year sure. and then when she died I remember it we'd been on holiday I must have been about seven or eight maybe nine I don't know and we came back and there was a message on our answer phone um, saying that you know your, your mum's died and um, I remember saying, "Oh, I'm really sorry, Mum." You know, because I didn't, I didn't know really. You know, I knew, I knew Mum. At that, you point, had the I, natural reaction. Yeah, I, yeah. I remember thinking, "Oh, that must be really hard for my mum." My mum, my mum went, oh, "Well, she says it's just me." Yeah. And there was this sort of <laughs> sense of sort of you know resignation of like, "Well, of course she's died," and you know, of course, you know, you know, it's it's happened. Um, there's a lovely line in the Mountain Goats. I don't know if you know the Mountain Goats stuff. They're really one of my favourite bands. But there's um. So Lionel, he says, you know, he's talking about his abusive stepfather, and he says, you know, my, when my sister rung last last fall to tell me that you died at last, at last, <laughs> so that you died at last, and what you mean by at last is, per- I mean, it's not that for my mum, and there wasn't a hatred or anything like that, but it, but then my mum went up to St Albans and she cleared out my nan's flat and did all the all the you know the all the sort of um, what's the line I use in the poem, I can't but the um the you know, the deathly duties or no, it's, oh yeah, it's a sort of play on. Deathly boring and deathly, um, yeah, all the deathly admin. I mean, yeah, um, uh, yeah, she did all that stuff, you know, which is a nightmare, you know, in, in, in admin when someone dies. She did all that stuff, and there's that sort of sense of duty. Well, you know, I'm going to do this, and I think it must be an incredibly, I imagine it must have been an incredibly freeing thing in a way yeah. to have done that, and I, 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 to behave in the way that not someone deserves. But in the way that you that, that is true to yourself and is the the best way to be to be the best person you can, and I, I've felt that at a few times in my life that I've sort of wanted to do one thing. I think what well, this person does, you know, and you check yourself and go, no, I'm going to do this because I think this is the right thing to do, sure, yeah. and to be governed by your own moral code and, and not not one that's been foisted upon you by someone else who's behaving not as well as they could do. 
and I think actually what it gives you is this immense sense of peace I think in a way and that's what I wanted to get and I guess that's kind of what that poem is and it's really having written that poem thought about it and gone oh do you know what I think that's where that came from was really interesting about how it gained your subconscious works Uh, the the sense of duty really kind of resonated with me because like I said it's quite nostalgic driving up here today because I'm going past pretty much the roads that would take me within five minutes to my dad's house I live two hours away from here so I don't do that journey often Um, you know and I haven't seen or spoken to him for for quite a while now but he's going to die of course and I, and I get that what you said as you said yeah of course mm-hmm. <laughs> and then there's the, will there be that sense of duty come into play for me it's sort of yeah yeah the relationship you know I'm very fortunate I've had an excellent relationship with my parents my parents are great good decent kind people who've you know who've done everything for me and so I'm, I'm very fortunate um, and you know I didn't grow up with the kind of life that that Tracy did but I've, I've known people who have yeah, a number of people who I care deeply about, so I'm aware of that. And again, there was this thing with my mum as well. So yeah, so it ended up being being that kind of story, that kind of story about people really struggling in, in a difficult situation, and hopefully being sympathetic to everyone in, in that situation and trying to paint a realistic picture. Um, but yeah, I don't know where you know. But but then that's one thing. But then you know, I mean, you know, thousand a thousand TV programs and films and poems and books I've read. It all goes. It all feeds into your understanding of a situation when you're not writing directly about your own life you know it's influences taken from you people go where do you get your ideas from where do you get influence from literally everything that I've yeah. ever I've ever do you, do you say sort of like an equal measure things that you see and witness from other people and things that directly are happening in your life so you, like you mentioned earlier divorce yeah I know you've got two two sons yeah. So I mean, do you write a lot about family life and and things like that as well? Yeah, I have done, and and and, and that's pretty pretty yeah, that's pretty much directly influenced by the things I've, I've experienced. But also, yeah, when I'm creating characters, I am imagining, and I'm sure some of that stuff's coming from books and films and other poems and other things like that. And some of it, you know, just comes from the language itself, the language. You know, so you, when you're using forms, so, you know, in the toll, the poem we've been talking about, you know, there's um, it's written in ballad meter, sort of version of ballad meter, where there are three. Three right, so it's it's dum 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 So that's every you know, and three of those. So when each rhyme at the end, so you know, it's quite a tricky thing to be telling a narrative and having to make it rhyme and also take the story in the right direction. So sometimes details and little things can just be sometimes put there because of a rhyme, and not you know they have to work as well. But you know, you what rhymes with that? Oh, that rhymes with that. Oh, that'd be interesting. Yeah, maybe you can have that colour hair, or maybe they can live in that place, or maybe they can have you know this thing, or maybe this can be you know the the, the way she looks, you know, maybe maybe she can have you know a, a, a curls or you know or whatever I don't know, you know, and 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 then that actually becomes quite a significant image in the poem, and it's only there because that you you've you forced to find a different way of saying something, and so I think um, that's why I like using form because it just takes you in really interesting places, places that I mean you know. I don't talk in a particularly interesting or poetic way when I'm just chatting to people, but yeah, well, I could, you know, so so my natural inclination is to write, <laughs> write in cliches and talk the rest <laughs> of us do, and so and so form just helps me take take forces me to go in other directions, forces me to be interesting. And like you said, with you know a couple of the lines that if you hadn't 
been forced into that situation you'd have never created it that. never would have created mm-hmm. it yeah and the other thing is like you know when you've got an infinite choice of what to say next it's very hard to try and settle on what it's you like can being do it's a buffet isn't it yeah, so oh, it just narrows, yeah, narrows it down. Yeah, exactly. And you know, in a buffet, you end up overfilling your plate and feeling a bit sick, you know. But if you're limited for choice, it sort of makes you sort of make the most of what you've got. Cool. Yeah, cool. I really like that. So before we wrap up, because I've got to drive back to Essex. Yeah, you've and, got to go to Essex, uh, and I've got to I've, try I've and got to vote because it's possibly end of May day, isn't it? It is election Today, day. You've Today already done is, yours, but you've got to drive to Brighton. I've got to drive to Brighton. Well, yeah, I, I don't, I'm choosing to drive to Brighton because I'm going to sit up and watch the election with uh, with uh, my uh, my partner Rosie and uh, her. Well, our good friend James um, and uh, Rosie's daughter Oliver. I wonder how long Oliver will last before he has to go to bed. Probably not very long. So after. I don't want to take up too much of your yeah. time, so that you can get on and do that and uh, and and. You know, thanks very much for the time. But you said you was going to read us another one. Yeah, all right. I'll, I'll do your houses that used to be boozers, which yeah. is one of my favourites, which is about pubs. And uh, all the pubs are being closed down. And uh, it's a very, it was very much a Bungie poem, which is where we are now, where I live. Um, and I was walking around Bungie, and there's loads of you can houses. You can tell that used to be pubs. Yeah. And so I found out that subsequently that there are there have been forty different pubs in Bungie over the years. 40? Yeah, and sometimes over 20 Bloody operating hell. at one time. That's crazy. And, like, uh, but, uh, and it started, yeah, it was only 5,000 5, people now and it would have been less than that. So the temperance movement was was, was the beginning of the end. Uh, and that was around about the time of the First World War. Um, but yeah, even up until about 20 years ago, there were 15, 10, no, 10 pubs in Mungi and there are now four. Wow. I know, right? Um, so... I started walking around town and I was thinking again I'd just written a univocalism maybe I'd written Burt Up Pub an early version of it or I don't know I don't know I think maybe I'd written that O univocalism and I had the idea of vowels in my head and so I had this phrase houses that used to be boozers and I thought that's got a lovely essence to it I thought I've got to write something like that and so I started trying to write this poem and again you'll see it's very very tightly rhymed and in a real galloping sort of rhythm and I didn't think I'd be able to keep it up but I managed to anyway so yeah (laughs) This is for all the lost boozers of and this, is, this is you've got a different book out this, this is from Mondeo Man this is from the first book that I did this came out this is the last thing I wrote for that book so I wrote this poem in late 2012 houses that used to be boozers this town is a stark share of repossessed dark lairs of houses that used to be boozers where once we were drinking we're now slowly sinking in sofas the colour of bruises Exordus saloons in our minimalist rooms where every night somebody chooses to rest their behind and half silence their mind in a slow death of sweaty neck snoozers in a tap trick of box sets and docks. But these houses, they used to be buzzing, they used to be busting and splitting and spitting and right. These places, they used to be tasteless, they used to be graceless and legless and feckless each night. Down lopsided streets, factory workers would meet in these houses that used to be boozers and wash the weak slog and the honeydew grog of their bawdy and dubious ruses. Now ladies frizz hair in the glade plug and air of these houses that used to be boozers. So far from the funk of the blood, sweat and spunk when these houses were floozy-filled boozers, when these houses were ringing with song. And I long for the throng of the song we thrived and these died with their ligging and frigging and dirt these hellholes where black-hearted arseholes would pour souls and sing and kick heads in till everything hurt 
Farewell, Rosen Crown, for the ship has gone down. She's no more for rum and fuse cruisers. The mad horse and dray is not bucking today. No, he's muzzled as McIntyre muses. And clatters of pewter are taps on computer in houses that used to be boozers. Humdrum sobriety, there's no society. Houses that used to be boozers. In cordoned off hush, we are turning to mush. In these houses that used to be boozers. We're fingering phones and we're drinking alone in these houses that used to be, houses that used to be, houses that used to be, boozers. Fantastic. Thanks very much, man. Pleasure. Thank you, Thank you. for having me in your home, spending some time. And uh, yeah, where, where can people catch up with you? What's your website? Uh, yeah, you well, lukewright.co.uk. Um, well, just Google me. I'm not the cricketer. I'm the other one. Um, and I'm easy to find, and all my gigs are on there. And I say I'll be at Glastonbury and Latitude and Port Elliot um, and Festival Number Six, but also for a month up in Edinburgh at the Fringe and also doing some stuff at the Book Festival as well. So, busy summer. You know, it's about, fuck knows, I don't know, about 50 gigs, 50 gigs in between now and September. So, Excellent. catch you on those. Brilliant. Thanks very much, man. Pleasure. really really nerded out to that I, I i this is going to be one of the ones that i'm going to enjoy listening back in the uh in the editing process so i don't really listen back to my own show because that'd be a bit sort of big-headed and, and narcissistic um I, but i have to listen to to elements as I, I i put in the links up on acast and as i'm doing some editing and stuff like that with rob you know so I'm definitely going to listen to this one back because uh, I want to relive that moment. Um, I really just enjoyed it. It, it was it was really nice of him to do it, um, and yeah, it, it was lovely to to be invited up to his home on a day off. The guy works incredibly hard, and he, he had a day off. It was uh, it was the day of, of voting, and um, you know he 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 had things to do, and he and he carved out. A couple of hours to meet me and I'm really really grateful and if you did enjoy that and I'm pretty sure you're gonna enjoy it because he's one of the best writers um that that we've got at the moment and 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 people like Metro uh newspapers they they've called him you know performance poetry's key revivalist um because his writing is is so fantastic he's definitely one of this generation's greatest storytellers and um aside from the poetry he's he's done a couple of one man um shows they're they're verse plays um he he he's he's got two of them um the first one that won loads and loads of awards um is is going to be at the edinburgh fringe festival um this year which it's august the 1st today and so in two days i think that starts and you can get tickets for that you can get all the details on on luke wright's website so go and check that out and and book tickets for um for for one of his shows and i say one because like i said he works really really hard and he's got two shows 
at the Fringe Festival. So he's he's performing every day from the third, um, and he's going right through August. Uh, and I think the last day is like the twenty seventh of August. So every day, twice a day, pretty much. I think he's going to be doing doing shows. So he, the first show that he did is his first um, sort of verse play, rather than just straight up poetry, was what I learned from Johnny Bevan, and it's it's a fantastic show. And he, he's doing sort of a dozen dates or or ten dates or so. Um, so go and see that and and enjoy that but his new show is is looking pucker and it's called Frankie Var and I'm definitely going to go and catch it because it it just it just it sounds awesome um I'm not going to going to go into loads of details about what it's about I just think go and check it check out the promo bits and stuff on Luke's website have a look at what else he's got buy a book buy one of his books they're all on there um the toll's fantastic you know you, you've heard a, a couple of poems from from him today um he, he did ones that i hadn't really heard him perform um which was really nice really cool for me um he didn't perform all of the ones that i would say are my favorites i, I went with a copy of his book um with about 20 post-it notes and and sort of said you know I, I was going through the book thinking oh what ones can I ask him to do and I'd stuck post-it notes on my favourites and I'd actually marked about half of them um, and, he, and he did some ones that I, I hadn't heard him perform so that was even better really but get, get his book if you're into poetry if you're into to writing the way he constructs sentences the way um, he, he performs them is just fantastic you know the the expression in his face he really acts out these stories seriously I'm, I'm nerding out now it's like five minutes of me um basically blowing smoke up his ass but I, I think he's fantastic and I'm really really touched that he carved out that time in his day to to speak to me so lukewright.co.uk he's he's at Edinburgh all this month so go and check him out he uh he's also um Oh no, that's it, because that date's gone. I'm just looking at his website as we speak. So by the time this comes out, that date will be gone. So yeah, he's he's doing a, a hard slog at Edinburgh and then there's no other gigs um, up there at the moment. No doubt he'll be back to it within a couple of weeks, probably take a couple of weeks off and, and do it. And he's, he's just done Latitude um, Festival and he co-produces that show So um, or co-produces and curates um, the, the poetry at latitude so he's a hard worker check him out for sure um waffling on as usual um i've just recorded with um rob who's the producer and editor of this show so he puts all the the audio and makes it sound good I, it was a really good one we he literally just left my house he came round and um i decided to to stick him on the microphone because um, he's someone that I've known for a while, and uh, and that was that was cool because um, I don't really know a lot about him other than he's been sort of like a Facebook friend, and you know. But we've really started to get to know each other since he started producing the podcast, and uh, he, he's an exciting guy. He's a he's a cool guy, and we just sat down, and yeah, I don't know when that episode's going to come out. Probably in a couple of weeks, but watch out for that one because it, it got good. It got good. We had a really nice conversation and um, it was difficult for him. Um, and when you listen to it, you'll see why. That's it for me. 
check out my website and all the social medias on there, thatmrchristopher.com. Thanks, guys.